Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of the Get Informed Podcast with your host Tom as always. And today I'd like to welcome back a dear friend, a philosopher, the guy also known as my Canadian counterpart, Leighton Peer. What's going on, brother? What's cracking, homie? I'm back and I'm ready to get down to business. Good, because there's a lot of business to be had here. We're going to be talking about something called ideology. So for all you guys out there, we're going to define the term. Uh, we're going to talk about ideology as a, a system of working ideas that are used in a way to explain to us how the world is supposed to work. Now, this is a very controversial term, and it can be pretty hard to understand sometimes just because it's so fluid in what it goes on to explain. And different people who follow and view different ideologies have completely different worldviews on the same reality, right? So, Leighton, how can this be a problem for people? I think when it comes to ideology, the hard part in identifying ideology itself is that the nature of ideology helps to mask certain realities mm -hmm. while at the same time, I guess you could say... Probably giving like more attention to them, certain ideas. It like glorifies specific ideas. Yeah, and, and has the latent effect of blocking out others. So it really helps us believe that what we are viewing right now is the true and ultimate reality. And mm -hmm. then through investigating our own ideological processes, we can come to realize that this might not be true. But many people don't even get to that investigative junction. You know, it could, it could probably be seen as, uh, for a lot of visual learners out there, uh, just imagine like a filter in like a coffee machine, right? And that filter itself is an ideological perspective. And what you're going to do is you're, you want to put your coffee in there and you want to filter out, you know, the delicious coffee that comes from it. But so what that filter does is it only allows specific thing, the specific thing that you want to come through. So if you were to take away that filter, you're going to be getting all of the other crap as well. And that's kind of what ideology does. It, it filters what we take in and accept as truth based on what we're seeing and participating in actively. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a tricky thing, right? And it, you know, it, it helps us to recreate what we see as normal, like norm, this right. idea of normalcy. Right. Right. Well, to kind of counteract your point, I agree. I agree with the analogy, but implicit in that analogy is people are usually aware when they put a filter in their coffee right True. ideology can also operate unwillingly to the agent to the person in which it has such a profound effect on right so mm -hmm. our goal in this podcast is to not only define ideology but to also explain how it functions and how to get rid of it but when that time comes that it's time to sort of you know get rid of our ideology many people have they experience cognitive dissonance because essentially your reality is being challenged and a lot of people don't like that. Absolutely. And you know, uh, here, we'll do a different analogy. This one's a lot better. It's like wearing glasses, right? You know, I've worn glasses for what the past like 10, 15 years almost. And I honestly forget that I wear them all the time. And it's, it's like wearing a pair of glasses that you don't really notice are on your, you know, maybe, you know, contact lenses, right? People probably forget they have them and I don't wear them, but you know, it's something that you put in that adjusts your view of the world and you have to willingly take it out to change that, right? Same thing with ideologies. We need to actually tackle with the idea that we have to recognize them as what they are. And we need to be conscious enough 
to evaluate them as truth or not. And if they need to be adjusted, readjusted, or completely changed or destroyed for that matter. So that's kind of what we're going to be digging down to. And that's where like the idea of ignorance and the conversation on ignorance will come later because typically they go hand in hand with each other, right? right. You can argue that people who are unwilling to recognize their own ideological uh, like shortcomings could be seen as ignorant. Well, I think it's important that we recognize the necessity of basic critical thinking skills, such as if you're going to get news from a certain source, is a source reputable? I think one of the most basic steps people can take is to just question yourself. And that begins with, you know, what kind of jokes do I tell with my friends? Are they racially insensitive? Are they sexist? Are they prejudicial? You know, for me, I, I'm someone who, who works very hard to stop using the word retard or to say, oh, that's gay. You know, but for the, for the longest amount of time, I thought it was okay or acceptable. So if something negative happened to me, I'd be like, oh, that's so gay. Or, that's, or if somebody did something stupid, oh, you're a retard. You know, mm-hmm. but it was only through uh, not only other people telling me it was wrong, because it's one thing for somebody to tell you something's wrong, but you don't believe that's the case. To I had to, you know, take the time out to learn why that's problematic beyond, you know, it hurting people's feelings, which should be enough to make someone stop. But I wanted to take it a level further and make sure, you know, I just stop using this terminology. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a, it's a prescription of behaviors as well. Like ideology also produces behaviors by, you know, what people are taking in and understanding as, you know, their, their normative view on the, on the world. And, People are willing, willingly accepting things as normal and okay. And just like you were saying, like these things truly are not, right? What, what's the biggest ideology that we are facing today is racism, right? The idea itself of race being a thing. Mm-hmm. And that, that in itself is one of the biggest ideological battles that I, I think any scholar can you know, argue about and talk about. And there's still people that are, ignorant to the fact that, you know, systemic racism exists, that, you know, people are put in an oppressive situation, you know, just due to this idea of race that just exists because, you know, we formulated it to, we associated power to, um, you know, some type of biological like difference that we mm-hmm. pre- presumed existed. And people truly now believe that there are different races. Well, you raise a good point. And you use the word power, which I think is, it really is a power struggle. And I'd like to take a second to talk about hegemony and how mm-hmm. it operates in our society. Absolutely. Essentially, hegemony can be boiled down to one group having more power than another group. And what that power confers sometimes is it affects our language. It affects different socialization processes, such as education. So Mm -hmm. what kind of curricula is being taught versus others? And then even within that curriculum itself, you know, what kind of materials are being disseminated? um, How is the teaching being done? So I think it can really, we can take a regressive approach to this and say, you know, the age old philosophical question of what is knowledge? You know, how does it operate? Where does it come from? And I think even if you're asking yourself those questions and the answers aren't readily available, you're still, you know, fostering awareness and sort of, loosening the ideological or loosening the grip that the ideology has over you in a sense 
Yeah. So, so then you would probably agree with, you know, the more power that, you know, a government or social group has, the more it is, the more easily it's able to um, envelop people within its own ideologies. Yes. Right. So, so, so ideology is tied to power. Yes. The more power a group has, the easier and more fluid it is able to determine what is reality for us. But like race, it's a reality that is constructed and not necessarily true. And ideology is not exclusive specifically to like government or social or racialized no, groups, no. right? It's, it can be used by religion. It can be secular. It can be rational. It can even be scientific, right? There's, 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 like, there's so many different ways that ideology can be used and so many different perspectives to explain the world for us. Right. You know, so we have to be careful on what avenues we allow to explain, you know, the natural phenomena of life that happens to us every single day. And, you know, we, like we talked about, there's, there's a bunch of different um, ways that we absorb the ideologies through, you know, religion, morality, political ideology, just there's financial economic ideologies. Right. So many different ones that exist. And we need to figure out exactly which ones are, you know, affecting us. Well, I think it's important to also recognize that ideology itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's important that we recognize our core principle beliefs and how they're intertwined with the action we choose to take in our lives. So for instance, if I believe, let's say I want to eat healthier, I want to lose weight, I want to look better. I will have a belief and that belief will consist of I believe that, you know, vegetables are healthier than fast food. Mm -hmm. So what's my, that belief is going to sort of become an action. And what's my action going to be? It's going to be, I'm going to, instead of, you know, going out to McDonald's to buy a double cheeseburger, I'm going to go buy some cauliflower and broccoli. So do do you see the point I'm trying to make? Our beliefs inform our actions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're prescriptive. If you operate under the, yeah, if you operate under the guise of ideology, your actions might feel like they're your own, but like I said earlier, it's been constructed for you by who knows, like you said, religion, morality, other people, your parents, mm-hmm. right? So I think in learning how to alleviate or remove our ideological baggage, we can truly begin to have authentic actions. Yeah, and you know, that's, that's one of the biggest problems, especially if you want to talk about like consumer culture, Right, mm-hmm. this this ideology—it's it's, you know it's, this is a, a, a systemic like issue with capitalism that people think that you know yo we're in a free market I'm free to purchase and offer and get you know obtain whatever service I want I can choose freely but really you're only being offered what's available to you like right. you are like you know when you walk into a Walmart and you're you know going to purchase something you're only being you may think there's a lot of options available but you're realistically only being offered what is in that store and. Who determines what's sold in that store? That's a good question. Right? Specific what if, what brands. if you live in an apartment building and you literally do not have the physical land to grow your own crops? You, you have to become dependent on supermarkets. And then when you go to those supermarkets, they're purchasing from a specific buyer for some specific reason, whether it's more affordable for them and it's you know, less healthy for the consumer. And you are going, you know, you are going into the supermarket thinking like, Hey, wow, they're getting all this food for me. It's great. You know, there's a lot of, there's positives and negatives and, you know, it's hard to, you know, really dig deep into, you know, 
what's actually negative about it specifically with you know questioning like what's being sold and why is it being sold it's just a it's a big thing that's been talked about um in the like uh historical cultural field regarding specifically capitalism that we're really not as you know open to what we want to consume and purchase as we tend to think yeah i could see that i feel like people want to I think increasingly in modern contemporary society, people want to, of course, people want to spend their money. They work hard for it. That's fine. But I feel like people also now want to feel better about the businesses they support. So my girlfriend, Jennifer, very proud of her for this. She is now actively searching out for, you know, she's a hairstylist. So she looks for, you know, racialized people um, who produce, products that are cruelty free you know so you get a little bit of the helping humans certain types of humans who have been i guess underrepresented in the hair industry and you also get products that aren't tested on animals so people want to spend their money and they want to feel good and feel smart and feel proud about who or what they're supporting and i think that's very important oh absolutely because like realistically how many people mindlessly go to walmart every single week and purchase exactly. the same things every single every single week after week after week you know, and uh, especially like with the stuff that we see in America with like, you know, now Goya is being, you know, protested because yeah. of open support for Trump, right? So now, so now there's like, there's, there's this new thing where like two ideologies don't match up. Therefore, their business is no longer going to be supported by people who share a dissimilar ideology than, you know, for example, Goya is openly, you know, portraying themselves to believe, which is, you know, this, this, uh, this Trump nation ideology. <laughs> Well, that, bring, that brings up a good point, though. It's certain types of ideologies are going to be supported by certain types of people. So what happens when my ideology negates or doesn't account for your existence? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that okay? Is that morally acceptable? I don't think it is. Well, that's, and that's where like the negative, like there's a lot of negatives with ideology. It, it's like, it seems like a very like interesting topic to talk about in essence, but realistically, I, I just feel that whenever we talk about it, there's just a lot of negatives that come from it. And I wonder why that is, right? Like, be, like, for example, becoming an ideologue, this is something I spoke to you about, like before all this and, you know, people like Donald Trump are, he's, he's an ideologue, right? Like he, right. he drives his success on the manipulation of people's worldviews, you know, drain the swamp. What the fuck is the swamp? I, like, I think like, he thinks he's Shrek or some shit. <laughs> what, what swamp is there to drain? I'm confused. <laughs> Don't drain me swamp. <laughs> I mean, he kind of looks like Shrek, so it makes sense. <laughs> I think Shrek looks a lot better than him. So <laughs> but no, like, you know, and, and another issue that I have is uh, with uh, religious ideology is um, all the TV uh, evangel evangelists or you know um the what do they call them the televangelists and they go on tv and they like write books and they pretend to embrace um religion to you know make people feel welcomed and supported meanwhile they're driving like stretch mercedes you know yeah. and and they're driving they're driving like 400 500 000 vehicles that they own they have they own yachts and mansions and multiple homes and these are pastors. These are people that are supposed to preach the word of God. Yet they are some of the wealthiest people in America. They fly on private planes. It's true. It's very backwards. 
He's My an, understanding of religion is you take in money that is given to you or donated to you and you give it back and spread it among the poor. I'm reading here about preacher Kenneth Copeland and his fleet of private jets and he claims it's a biblical thing. How is that acceptable? Because he, um, I, oh, I know this, I know this, ready? Because um, in those private jets, when you get in them and they fly, they're like closer to God. Okay, I feel like that's the best explanation he did. Even, <laughs> even if he said that, I would know it's bullshit, but I would at least feel better like he tried. But it's a biblical yeah. thing? How is it a biblical thing? In those times, you were lucky to have a donkey to carry you around, let alone a $54 million jet. And people let this stuff slide. This they, whole idea oh. of mega churches? How far are we yep. willing to let ideology, you know, say, tell us this is okay? But this is, I think that's, see, I think this is specifically a negative case of ideology, right? Yes, like there's yes, nothing, of course. like right with, with religion and morality, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that religion itself and morality itself are purely ideological, right? They're, it's just how religion is used as a system to explain the world and it's most highly sought after questions, right? Like what is the meaning of life? Why do we die? And where do we go? Right? These are questions that people are scared to find the answers to. And religion solves them, right? Like, all you got to do is read this book, go to church, go to, go to um, a, a place of worship every week where we talk about it. And when you die, and then you'll find the answers. You'll, yeah. you'll get these answers given to you. You'll find it's an them. easy way out. And that's, the, and that's a problem, right? And this is, this is where people take advantage of that, right? All of these pastors and um, all these religious ideologues are taking advantage of human curiosity and fear like people looking and seeking desperately for answers about life giving their spoon feeding them this ideological perspective hey follow me listen to what i say and give me some of your money and they're just taking it and running away with it and it's it's absurd dude it really pisses me off so what what would you consider this specific type of you know ideology would you call it an active ideology or would you say it's passive Hmm. I would say when you, when you are fully like a con, almost like a con artist is aware of the scheme that they're like um, carrying out when it's, when it's active above your conscious, like I know what I'm able to do here. Like I see the results of how people are being, how people are responding to what I'm saying. When it becomes that conscious, I believe it's more of an active part on their end because they can simply say, oh no, this has gone too far. I feel like I'm taking advantage of people and I'm, I'm not really embracing the good word of, you know, the Lord, my God, or whoever, whatever. These people are, they, they, like, for example, um, like, you know, Joel Olstein, right? I can't tell you how many people I know, like have his books and everything, but he drives hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of vehicles and lives in mansions and he flies all over the, you know, he flies everywhere, makes, and he makes so much money and he's okay with it. They have beautiful jewelry and all of these things. And meanwhile, their, their followers are some people who are maybe struggling in their lives. Yeah. You know, they're, they're looking, they're looking to re fill the void in their mind of how they view and perceive the world with something that'll give them answers. I and think... these people are giving them a cheap solution. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's sort of like a Chicago pizza. There's multiple layers. And once you peel back, or sorry, not even a Chicago pizza, it's like an onion. You peel back one layer, then there's another, and then there's another, and then there's another. So I think the whole process of ideology is mm -hmm. 
sort of like peeling back the proverbial onion. So I think in this instance, yes, people are going to the mega churches and, you know, the churches to sort of fill a void that's just empty and they want some meaning in their life. That's fine. I'm not going to hate on that. But it's when people take advantage of that mm-hmm. and start to capitalize and make money and, and, you know, and the money, you know, confers political power and the political power affects legislation, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's when I start to have a problem with. So I think if we understand ideology as the construction of reality or a representation of reality, I think that it just doesn't add up in a sense that as somebody, you know, a follower of the Bible, of good Christian, you know, you need to help the less fortunate not go out and buy $54 million planes, mm-hmm. knowing that people are starving, you know, that we're going through a pandemic, soup kitchens are, visits are at an all-time high, you know, things like that. How could you sit there with a good conscience and let that happen? Because if you truly espouse the idea of religion, or at least Christ- Christianity, shouldn't you object to that immediately well they're consciously aware right they are they are true ideologues they know what they are doing systematically they are constructing a system to manipulate people's ideological views on the world right they're doing it on purpose there's there's no if ands or buts in my mind other than that yeah right and it's and like you said and i was actually just thinking notice that it's mostly in like christianity where this is happening it's it's you know and and they're typically like white pastors so it's like religion is tied to this power right and we know that this power and for specifically in america right exists already so it's just an extension of this 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 power structure that exists in america right right so it's just people are just finding new ways to take advantage of a, you know a weakened populace like um, of course whether it be economically you know and then people who are in poor economic standing they go to the church to find answers or solace or explanations for the world or to make them feel better and they're just being drained from that source too but even then you know you know what boggles my mind the most is that these people who are already you know indentured to the system they still go and give the measly amounts of money that they make Mm-hmm. working these low-end precarious low-skilled jobs they still give to the church because the, in their heart they really believe that they are going to affect some change mm-hmm. and i will always have respect for that it's just somebody who's already making so little still wants to help yet the man who's a, who can afford to buy a 54 million dollar plane won't give back to the community yeah, I've always had like an issue personally with religion is because why do I have to subscribe to a set of ideals that you want me to follow when realistically, if I wanted to truly follow God, why can't I go do it myself? So you don't go to hell. Oh. You want to have a clean and clear conscience so you can have a clean and clear afterlife. Yep. If you, if but you again, that's putting weekend, fear <laughs> into people's hearts, you know, well, exactly, act, act in the proper the- way or you will face the retribution. And many people are scared. They don't want to go to hell. Even if it doesn't even exist. Yep, yeah, I was just going to say, even if it, even doesn't, if it exist, doesn't exist, the risk, like the 0.001% chance <laughs> yes. that it might, that's yes. too much for some people. I, Bro, I was just thinking the same thing. And that's how powerful ideology is. Yes, it will make you so scared of the alternative 
even though you know the alternative might not even exist. It's just like, the possibility of it is enough to scare you, make exactly, you shake in your boots. Exactly. And that's, and that's, dude, that's just religious ideology, right? Like there's so many other forms of it too. And, you know, right. one of the biggest ones specifically here in America is with, you know, I would say um, the, the political parties that we have now and the spectrum on which they identify themselves as, it's, we have the extreme, extreme left, the extreme, extreme right. We have centrists, we have everything all over the place, but similar to the uh, televangelists that we were talking about, you know, I really, I will go and say that, you know, Donald Trump is an ideologue and he, he knows what he's doing. And people, you know, online, you know, you always see people talking shit on Facebook and whatever, and people think Donald Trump's an idiot. And I'll be honest with you. I don't very intelligent. I don't think an idiot can become the president of the United States. He knows what he is doing. It is systematic. It is purposeful. He knows what he is inciting. Yes. I feel like, you know, I've said this before to friends and family. I think Donald Trump is, I wouldn't quite call him a genius, but he is a very intelligent man who knows what he's doing. He's, you know, the classic uh, divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. He's, He's a demagogue who says things that he knows will get people riled up. Mm-hmm. He knows the media will jump on a bandwagon to attack him. You know, every day. That's why he targets article. them. Yeah, he's in it. You know, he hates whistleblowers. He hates scientists. He hates the truth. And honestly, I feel like a lot of Americans already felt that way, and then now they have a president to bolster that already backwards skewed worldview. Yeah, it's like if the president doesn't if the president doesn't wear a mask, why would I have to? I think he knows he's a role model but forgets he's a role model. I, I'm, it, he's such a, oh my God, he's all over the place. I don't even know how to read this guy. Like. <laughs> so let me, I got to posit something for you then. Cause you know, we, we were talking about active versus passive where yeah. ideology can be overt or subvert. I was just thinking now, so these, so what Donald Trump did, he didn't create an ideology, right? What he did is he gave people the confidence to voice it publicly. Right. He, he turned it from passive to active, That's to being point. over. You know, because it's, it's not like all of a sudden there's new people that are like suddenly racist. People discovered what <laughs> racism was and like, right, hey, yeah, right. I want some of that. Yeah. No, people, re- once this guy, he basically used a dog whistle, awakening people that felt these things subconsciously. And well, that now, was his platform, no? He wanted to build the wall at the beginning. Oh, and it's evolved so, into much more than that. Yeah, yeah. But at the beginning, if you already, you know, that, that sentiment of illegal aliens stealing our jobs, you know, what, something that comes to mind is that South Park episode where they, you know, they're screaming, they took our jobs, you know? But yeah, mm-hmm. that's funny, but it's also drawing on a real life problem mm-hmm. that Americans, they felt the need to, how do we take care of it, you know? Scapegoating. Exactly. So was, when he came along and said, let's build the wall, all those racists who were like really quiet, but were they quiet though? They were the teachers. They were the firefighters. They were the workers. They were the frontline workers, the middle class. It can be any, but it can be any, it really can came be anyone. out of the, yeah, they came out of the woodwork and they're like, holy shit, my president feels the same way I felt for 40 years. He's got my vote. I've always hated Mexicans and Asians and blacks. It's, yeah, especially now the most powerful like man the in, the wor- in the free world is saying stuff like that, making fun of reporters in wheelchairs. Yo, Why can't I do it? Say that again, man. Dude, the leader of the free world. Yes. That's scary He's getting shit. on TV acting like a 12-year-old. Why can't I? You know? 
you know, and it's, it's really, it's crazy that you bring that up because like what we were talking about is this like subverted ideology that people's suppress like you know no one's gonna i don't think i've ever met someone in my life said hey you know my name is bob and i'm in the kkk you know right. what i'm trying to, no one's ever done that i don't think <laughs> but you know I, I i honestly would not be surprised within the past four years that people are much more brave on identifying themselves with such terrorist or like um domestic terrorist organizations like that or the alt-right movement and people are people are now proud to exhibit yes. this behavior people but then are, again that, that's been around for a while like white pride Oh, I'm oh proud but it's to be white. But you never hear people say it until very recently. Yeah. I and I think even with the advent of social media, you it's e- I guess it's easier to see people say it. You know, it's easy to hide behind the screen and say, it, but I feel like people are in the street saying it too. I think that's a key difference. So like But I think see, I think the biggest issue here though is that like Donald Trump incited this, right? Like it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't like these people felt so strongly about these beliefs that they had to make their opinions and ideas known. Donald Trump, he knew that this was, it was like a sleeping beast. It was laying dormant. He woke it up and he's causing hell in this country now. That's an ideologue. And he knows what he is doing. He is inciting this for a specific reason. So what reasons we may try to understand, uh, you know, we will honestly never know. Yeah, who knows what this guy's end game plan is. He's trying, he's going for re-election. Yeah. So I really, I really wonder what, you know, (laughs) he already tried to build a wall. He's already building a wall. What what more can he do? What's next? I really, really wonder. And we giggle about it and we laugh about it, but this has real life implications for many minority groups that he fails to protect. You know, scaling back the, the, the DACA things. You know, it's like he threatening to, so essentially in the fall, if you are not a local resident going to a school, you're an international student and it's just going to be online courses, you might get deported. I think I think he actually took that. American first thing. No, re- Sorry, I think what? recently, I think a week or two ago, they, they took that back. Okay, well, the fact that it was even said to yeah. strike fear into people, it, it's good that they scaled that back. But, you know, essentially, I feel like if you're in America, you should just never be too comfortable unless you're rich. Or white. You know, even that, yeah, seriously. Like, that could be extended dude, to white people. Right, Amer- you, you're just always on your toes. Yeah, dude, like, what, that's, like, America is built on, like, the foundation of race. Like, yes. literally, like... <laughs> you know so you know in the, that's the problem we're facing right now like people are still for example like you want to talk about ideologies all lives matter black right. lives matter right. two completely different ideological groups but realistically like it and it's like what what is the like people are just trying to find it a response to black lives matter like black lives matter does not insinuate that other lives don't matter but what it's doing is it's focusing and giving emphasis to black lives that are being systematically abused and oppressed, imprisoned and killed unjustly. I and think at its core, Black Lives Matter just challenges the status quo. And for those who felt like they've been in a position of privilege and power mm-hmm. to have that sort of usurped, it's going to, you know, they're going to have negative associations with that. Well, yeah, think about this. So, like, you're, you're a 50-year-old, you know, white woman, right? Karen, right? That's what everyone's calling them now. And you, and you all of a sudden, like, everyone's giving attention to Black Lives Matter. What about my life? Right. My life matters, too. Does my, my, does my mom's life not matter? 
like or they say white you start talking about white privilege and then people will say well i didn't have white privilege i grew up tough yeah well, nobody's disputing that karen i believe you everybody has it tough yeah but Just some they, people they, have it more tough consistently over uh, ever since your country's inception you know, some people are still struggling. The laws reflect that struggle. The education mm-hmm. reflects that struggle. And it just goes on. And people don't want to recognize the systemic implications of race. They just think it's just, oh, you're being racist and prejudicial towards me. You're calling me names. It's so much deeper than that. Kyle, please give us a chance to uh, talk about it. Because before, we couldn't even do that. Yeah, it's nice that there is an open, an open mic for this now, which is, which is great. Um, the, the, the biggest problem, though, this mic can be open and as loud as you want it to be, but there's one thing getting in the way, and that's the ignorance that comes with ideology. What do you right? mean by Pe- that? Do you think you could expand a bit? Yeah, absolutely. People being unwilling to listen and change and, and, and even question that their worldview might be wrong. Right. That's, and that's, and I understand that, right? That's something very fearful. Imagine really believing in God for 50 years of your life. And then all of a sudden think and being told like, God's not real. <laughs> like, You've seen that meme I sent you of a, uh, before you read Nietzsche, you're all, you know, orderly, clean, you know, well-kept. And then after reading Nietzsche, Oh, that's what philosophy does. It flips your world upside down. Did I tell you the story when I was in my undergrad and I I was taking a course on existentialism? Did I tell you the story? No, what was it? Okay, so my professor, great professor, John Caruana at Ryerson, awesome guy. We were talking about, we were just starting our unit on Nietzsche. I think we were like six weeks worth of material to get through in like four weeks. It was was crazy. But he was just telling us his story and he was saying how he had the student, always came to class, always put up his hands like always had great things to say was very like interactive with the professor and then they finally got to the Nietzsche um unit and then I think the guy was there for the first class and then what what did the professor I think he's talking about the madman's parable essentially when Zarathustra comes down from the mountain and is saying you know we have killed God blah 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 and then after that (laughs) he emails the professor and he's like can't wait to see you next class professor never saw the guy again apparently he had dropped out or something because oh what they had talked about in that course just ran so countercurrent to what that man had known i think he, i think he turned out he was like highly religious or something oh i believe and it he, he just never saw him again that that the idea of god being dead mm-hmm. and the funny thing is that's not even what nietzsche meant he didn't mean god himself is dead he meant that the symbology of god is dead and that we have replaced him with What's what's things people worship in modern society? Uh, Physical objects, right? Like um, objects, people, like idolatry. Idolatry, yes. Statues Mm -hmm. is is perverse. Celebrities, cultural icons. Yeah, definitely. So we we are constantly swapping out our quote gods, but it just goes. This story goes to show, like, you can learn about something, and it can just have the most adverse effect. I feel like all the times we hear about. It challenges you. They may, not, they may not grow in a positive way, but growth is still growth. You know what I'm saying? It's still growth, going to Absolutely. Happen. Yeah, growth can be negative, right? We all go through yeah, negative yeah, yeah, experiences yeah. that we grow exponentially from. Yeah. So I think, I think this is a classic example of like, you know, growth is going to happen to you whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what better place to have your ideas challenged than in a lecture in f- philosophy? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, 
But I think to even be in that space, he was already prepared to have his ideas challenged. I guess Nietzsche was just a really extreme. It was too much. First time challenge is too, too much. much for him all at once. <laughs> I mean, but I, you know, I like I like to hear that though because you know I think we do need to be challenged. And the thing is, I and very recent, I can't remember when we spoke about this, but when you and me talked about the fact that when you speak to someone about something that can challenge how they see or understand things, you have to be very clear that you're not attacking the person, rather you're attacking the argument. Right. And I I forgot when you said that to me or where you got that from, but like I really have actually tried since that moment to carry that with me because I don't want to, you know, I know how fragile and how complicated ideological perspectives that people have can be and how firmly situated people are in them. And I don't want them to feel as if I'm attacking them as a person telling them, Oh, you are, you know, you're wrong for thinking this. I want to question and ask them like, why is it that you believe in what you believe? What Mm -hmm. about it makes it so true to you that you can't even welcome a possibility of something else coexisting? And that being another ideology. Yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of people, you know, who I give the benefit of the doubt and they're open to other possibilities, but they say they're open, but really they're just tacitly rejecting it while giving you the lip service. Oh yes, I'll try to incorporate that. Or yes, I will change. You know, like how do you argue with someone that, hello, I am a black man and I have the right to self-govern the right to happiness the right to participate in society and then people are like no you know how how do you persuade them how do you use rational measures to try and convince somebody that hey i exist as a human being so let's so let's let's posit this the rioting as a result of the george floyd uh, murder right like and and you, you have everybody saying like why are people rioting we're tired. We've tried to go through every acceptable, and I put acceptable in quotes because it's acceptable to who, why, how. The know, power structure that be. The right? power structure. They're, they're so, the ones that accept protests, right? Your, free, mm-hmm, your freedom of mm-hmm, speech. You know, right to, to assemble, whatever, whatever. We've went through those regular avenues and we're still not heard. We're still dying. So what do you do? You, how politely can you, you say, hey, hi, right. I'm a person. Can you respect me? How yep. nicely can you do that before you fucking get tired? Exactly. And, people and, are tired. Yeah. And, and people are fed up mm-hmm. with a, a system that subjugates us further and further and further for a myriad of ways. Don't, I don't even want to get started on how, how many ways we're fucked over. Mm-hmm. Even here in Canada, you know, anti-black racism or sorry, uh, black racism is a thing. Indigenous racism. You know, it, it's it's not as pronounced as America because we don't have, you know, our government isn't spearheaded by an ideologue who just thinks he can say whatever he wants to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying Justin Trudeau's the perfect boy. He has the perfect hair, but, you know, he's definitely not no Donald Trump, that's for sure. But it still exists here. It's just definitely less pronounced. Yeah, and, and you have to remember, um, like, racism isn't, like, a, a global, like, it's not a uh, globally, like, linear thing. Race developed very differently everywhere in the world. Right, exactly. Right, ba- based on the the norms of that society, of those societies where it developed. Racism in America, the, the ideological perspective of race in America is very different than, for example, race in Brazil. Brazil had a very, very, very complicated struggle 
It was they they didn't have um like they it was really bad. It was very very bad. Like um black people couldn't do anything in yes. Brazil. Anything. Yes, black Brazilians are definitely. They you know, it was so bad. They're the, they had, they're the subordinate group there. They had sure. their they had their own sport. It wasn't even until like probably within the past. It was only probably a couple like maybe decades. I'd probably say like maybe twenty to thirty years where it really became like okay, like let's fix things. But right. like, um, what's oh, what's the famous um, uh, soccer player? Um, oh, I can't remember his name. I'm really sad. There's got to be many. Brazilians um, are damn good at soccer. No, oh, of course. It's, it's called the beautiful game because of Brazilian soccer. Because uh, it they basically, it looks as if they are dancing. And Brazilian right. dancing is supposed to be so beautiful. And they, that's what they, they named it after. And it's funny because the style of soccer that they actually play in Brazil, I know this is off topic, but it's actually rooted in black dance culture from Brazil. Yeah. They, and that's what they equate it to, the beautiful game. It's the beautiful black dance culture that they had. Is that so funny though? That same it, thing happens in America, and it is Native an extension Americans. of not not even well that too. But I'm talking specifically black people. Think about who populates these concerts of gangster rap. It's white kids from the suburbs. They want a taste of our life, but they don't actually want to go through what we go through existentially. Exactly. They just want to consumer to music their... <laughs> and and they want to dip their feet in, but they don't want to get their whole body wet. They don't want to exactly. go to the deep end. The you shit that know. we have to deal with every day. They You're right. Wanna, you know, sing along, say the word nigga and call it a day. It's know? like, it's like an ideological pool, right? Like they, they, they go into <laughs> like, they, they, they take their finger and they dip it in and they just see like the fucking 400 years of like slavery, beating, yeah. lynching, mur- like everything. And then they pull their finger right out. Like, oh shit, yep. no, no thanks. Like, they, you know, it's and like that, on and social that's media. Only, that's only a touch. They were, it was a view into, I would argue Stepping outside, listening to that music allows them to step outside of their ideology for three minutes and 20 seconds while they're listening to that Tupac song, you know? Yep. And then, then they're like, oh man, you know, that was a good song. And then it's like, oh, back to, back to white world. Yep. And, it, and that's what ideology does though, right? And, and I think maybe, um, like maybe music can be an example of maybe a good way of using ideology to share ideas, right? With people and bring awareness. Like there's so many people of color in the metal and rock universe and been making music about anti-establishment racism corruption for so long and then just now they're posting like how are you racist listening to our music when we literally talk about anti-racism anti-establishment bullshit that people that the governments have been doing for years i think it's a little naive to believe you know let's just listen to this band and all of a sudden we won't be racist I think we should try to understand our ideas as like, like I said earlier in the podcast, they inform our decisions or our actions. So if we believe, you know, black people are lesser, we're going to, if we're going to move, we're not going to move to the inner city if we can afford it. We're going to move to suburbia, to a gated community where people look like us. You know, if I'm, if I'm on a hiring committee, maybe I have an unconscious bias towards Asian people. Mm -hmm. So if I see a resume that says, you know, Steve Yang, I might choose one that says Stephen Miller or something, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not even, I'm not even aware of it. It's like, it's like the uh, analogy you had about your glasses. They're on your face, but you forget about it. You know, it's that, it's that coffee filter that you don't even know is there. Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, you, it's but you think it's normal and you think it's necessary and you think it's reality. Right. Absolutely true. Right. And it, you know, and you know, even musicians could be ideologues, right? Like these are of pop course. cultural icons and stuff, but 
I think like, we do have to try to find good ways to spread ideology. And, you know, f- for example, like System of a Down, a lot of their songs, like when, like they're, be- I love System of a Down. I've seen them. And, and a lot of their songs are just about like, you know, ch- um, they're, they're actually Armenian. And uh, there's been a lot of them are, are, a lot of their songs are about the Armenian genocides that happen right. and all the, um, the negative treatment of refugees in America. So a lot of their songs are about like like they have they have a, they have a song where one of their lyrics is literally pushing little children with fully automatics you like to push the weak around, right? Like like this like and they're trying to give an insight into like this is what's going on in my home country and I come to America to make music and I'm trying to show people like these views of how people treat other people. And by listening, the average person knows they're talking about the Armenian genocide. <laughs> this tie, this ties back to our ideas of, of ignorance and yeah, yeah, right. You know, the ignorance like of people not... will just go to the concert and jam out, and, and then, then they leave and they have a beer exa- with the boys after the concert instead of you know going home and maybe reading up an article in New York Times about you know. Yeah, you it's know. true. You know, and it's but it's good to have this conversation because you know it. It I want our, if, if we anyone learns anything from this podcast episode, you know, it's that. We need to question things that we even think are normal. Even if exactly. you swear on your life that you swear what you think is true, just question it. Do some research. Like, you know, I don't know if that's maybe like, you know, why I got into history. Because I, I like to ask extra questions and truly find out, like, why did World War II happen? Like, why did the Holocaust be allowed to happen like how did people <laughs> allow that to happen well there are Mind people you, out there who deniers. think it didn't happen yeah like so that's a whole other issue like and you want to talk about ignorant ideologies like dude well think dude. of think the white house representative uh the speaker or sorry was it the secretary who said we shouldn't let science get in our way oh um that blonde woman uh she yeah, is I don't remember young, her name. the press secretary Press secretary, she said, we shouldn't let science get in our way. What does that mean? What can we take that statement to mean? Her name is Kaylee McAnnie. What could she mean by that statement? Do people even consider that? What what does she mean by this? No. Yes. Reopen the economy. Science, that's secondary. Capital, you know, profits, that's first. I want to make my money so I can buy a cell phone that'll scratch my balls and rub my ass. (laughs) <laughs> you know, to, to quote the late George Carlin, you know, everybody, nobody wants to shake the boat because they all have a phone that'll make them pancakes and rub their balls, you know? Yeah, pretty much. It just, like, and, people, and people are, and see, I think the biggest problem is that people are okay with it. Like, that's why people are okay with Donald Trump being, you know, openly like racist and xenophobic and all of these things. Right. Because like, I, so I, I keep on seeing memes that say like, you may you say that you're against racism and you know you're not racist, but mm-hmm. you're voting for someone who is, and that just by that action alone, you're you're not excusing that as a reason not to vote for him. Oh well, of course. How how could you defend that? That's indefensible. Yeah, Your I, vote exactly. is one hundred percent ticket. Yeah, one ticket of support. You know, I'm not saying it'll ever be. Imagine you're subscribing if, if, to his yeah. views. No, but not even sub- subscribing and subscription seems like a conceptual idea. You are literally giving them one more chance, one more vote to get into office. Like, if you can't see the causal connection there, I'm, I'm, I can't help you. Like, oh, yeah. And, and you know, and, and even that sentiment, it, it sucks for some people because they hated Donald Trump, but he promised to, I remember reading an article, I forgot where, where, 
this small town, I think everybody just got together and voted for Trump, which is already problematic. You should vote for whoever you want based on mm-hmm. your own personal reasons. But they were a steel industry town and Trump promised to reinvigorate, you know, and, and you know, I guess put like a stimulus into the steel industry. So they're like, you know what? This is our livelihood. This is what we do. We don't like the guy, but let's hope he fulfills this promise. He didn't. You know, so I think that's that's an instance of people like they don't like him, but they they kind of wanted something out of his platform. Like what oh, his platform that's, that's why given would have helped them a lot. Well, yeah, that's why that's why people like believe certain things, right? People change their 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 views or their ideologies, and or they they try to look for the candidate or the person who most closely aligns with what they believe. And once people find that perfect person, that ideologue. They, that's why they're so hyper-focused. Like, I'm not going to lie. People that support Trump, like, they scare me. Like, it's scary how willing they are to fully commit themselves to everything. It, it, I feel like they're, they don't even stand up for a merit. Like, me personally, I, the first thing that I would say is I'm for my country. These people are like, I'm for Trump. That's big. Like, no, like, really, think about it. Like, that's big. Like, we're supposed to be proud to be American, right? We're supposed to... Why? That's a dumb ideology, too. Why would you be proud for something that was strictly by chance? Your parents and then their parents and then their parents somehow ended up on this, you know, on that landmass and had you... Well, you you want to be proud of the area you're... I guess they're... You know, if, if, if you want... I would just probably say geographically where you're located like there humans have this like territorial humans Do have we? this We're gonna ter- be, i'm gonna be proud that this tree is taller than another or that this no no, no not is that. here and not over well, there I, i'm confused well i think like having a sense may have a sense having a sense of pride maybe like what would be another term that we would use then like being i don't know it seems a bit neurotic i feel like pride should be reserved for things that you achieved on you know by your own volition your own will so pride should only be selfish in a sense, yes. Not I. I wouldn't give. I wouldn't be prideful about something that happened to me by chance. I'm not proud to be black. I'm not proud to be six foot two. You know, it's like these well, things were outside of be, my control. Well, no. Well, no. What I mean is, like, you should be proud to be who you are, right? And who you are, circumstantially, like based on like where you were born, you know, all that, all those, the biological, all that kind of stuff. Being proud of who you are comes with, like, you know, being proud of just your heritage, right? You're just your family traditions and culture and those things. Like, I think just embrace, like, I don't know. There's people that are probably born in the, I hate my, I hate my people. I, I don't know. Are there people like that, really? Probably. Probably. But, um. I mean, don't you hate white people sometimes? You're white. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, <laughs> that's absolutely true. I honestly cannot argue with you there. <laughs> sometimes Jesus you're just Christ. like, yo, what are y'all doing? You're giving us a bad name. But that's another thing, right? That's like, and then you, if you really want to start the argument of like, you know, like race, right? Like, it's like you, you're clustering like all these like white people together when it's just like, yeah. I, I, like, like there's a lot of different kind of like, you know, quote unquote white people of course. or whatever. But um, yeah. I think we could get into a whole philosophical debate about labels and how they negate us or how they cannot capture our ever-changing you know ebb and flow essence you know what uh, you know how many people think of me as you know partner son friend and other people think of me as dumbass philosopher you know it's like it's always changing Good right? friend. It's, never, it's never static yeah so like 
labels help us navigate the world, but they're also a little bit tricky. And I think labels can are often informed by ideology, right? Absolutely. Like, like you know, like but, when you, uh, for example, when you go to Home Depot and you see literally like 20 Hispanic men waiting to be like waiting for work, right? Like just by looking at them, you're going to be like, oh, look at these guys taking jobs, you know, right. go back to your country. When I see someone who's trying to make, make a buck a for their family. Right. And, you know, some you know, people when, see these people and they're like, they're a threat. These people are a threat. Like the man who's watching birds. He's watching birds. That guy was watching birds in, in Central Park, minding his own business. Oh, oh yeah. He told, I he told that. that white lady to keep her dog on the leash. And just that simple act, a black man approaching you that's threatening, I'm going to call the police. Like, imagine calling the police and thinking they're going to help you. <laughs> that, that's like a mind boggling thing for me, too. It's, it's scary because I'll, there's probably a majority of Americans who believe that that was the right thing. Right. They think the police are going to come and they're going to help them and they're going to defuse the situation. While me, if I ever call the police, God, I better be prepared you know, to battle for my life. I hear stor- stories of a black man who called the police and the police came and beat him up and arrested him, but he called them. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you, you, you remember like, the police? The police, they helped, they helped, uh, um, Brianna Taylor, remember? They helped her. Yeah, they walked into her house and shot her in the head. You know, yeah, it's they like, helped a lot, right? Like, how, how are we supposed to exist in this world? It, you know, to that, serve and protect who? When? How? Why? These are questions people don't ask themselves. And that's the pro- and that's you know? and that's the, that's the issue with the ignorance, right? Like where we, yes. we, we, we mentioned the ideological idea of the, the police are here to help. No, they're not. You know, in theoretically, like if you want to talk about it theoretically, yeah, but but it should be that's know, what they're even, they're for. But in practice, realistically, like how are they truly functioning? Like you have to remember that they're not robots that are, um, mm-hmm. you know, programmed to defend everyone. They're normal people that are able to be influenced by ideology and they have their own views of the world and that gets that plays into how they diffuse situations of course and i was telling um, him realize that i was telling a friend recently about the story i had when i was uh, i think i was in grade seven i was 12 or 13 and i was telling this friend about how i got this backhanded comment that at the time i i didn't think of it as anything and that's just funny how trauma works in the human brain you just think it's normal and then like years later you'll get some information that will challenge and you'll be like what the fuck was that so whatever i'm talking to a friend about how i had this teacher i won't name her name very nice lady i guess and she was like oh you write and speak very well for a black man and i think at the time i took what grade was that i think grade grade six or so i don't know it was it was a long ass time she was like, you speak, ver- you speak and write very well for a black man. And I think I t- at that moment, I think I was like, oh, thank you, Miss whatever, whatever. And then I think literally last week, I'm like, wait, that's fucked up. How many times has, have I raised my hand in class or how many other black children have raised their hand in class and she just skipped over us because she thinks that there's a certain way or a certain mold that young black school children fit into. And I was just quote, lucky enough to break, to be outside of that expectation. You know what I mean? How many students were silenced because she just thought of them as less because they were black, Asian, or just not white. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it, it just scares me that the people who are, you know, racist 
occupy these like very, very important roles in society, like teachers, like police, you know, officials, officials, people that we look to trust. Positions that that have what? The P word. Power. And privilege, too. And privilege, the two P words. Yeah. So I'm just like, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, that's a really fucked up thing to say to a student. I've, I've heard that, oh, you play table tennis? Oh, I thought you played basketball. You know, it's like these little microaggressive mm-hmm. um, comments. Essentially, and what you're saying to me is, I thought of you one way based on what I thought of black people. Black people, absolutely. And you don't fit that mold? Are you weird? And I'm just like, are you, you know, different? Just, yeah. Yeah, I'm just living my life. You know, <laughs> I'm just yeah. doing what I enjoy. Sorry, I don't fit into your category of what a black man should do or be exactly you know and it's 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 very tiresome to have to deal with that you know living Mm -hmm. up to people's expectations and then they have this negative reaction when you don't fall in fall in line with what they want you yeah because you literally shook up their whole world yeah whoa whoa, like a a black kid that knows how to write in sixth grade right like what do you you mean are you surprised like you should be (laughs) teaching them to write like it's your job literally literally so it re- so to think about think about how these school systems like and then you, and then you want to question like oh no black kids get they get to go to school they get the same education do they really though if do, this do? teacher can selectively choose how much information and teaching she gets done to specific students yeah. it's crazy it's really crazy kids, that kids already naturally feel bad about they don't want to put up their hand and you know the stress that comes with, you know, oh, stand up and say your answer out loud or whatever. You know, people just try to avoid that. So imagine you finally get the guts to put your hand up in class and the teacher just doesn't choose you because of your skin color and how and they you think. And you wouldn't even know that. Yeah, exactly, no. exactly. You wouldn't know that. So I think she thought she was doing me a favor by telling me that, but were you, you know? But I didn't even realize it like 15, until 15 years later, you know? That's she must have had a part. Freudian slip. Yeah, honestly, she was like, you speak and write very well for a black man. Um... Okay, you know, oh, you play table tennis? Are you black? Or how many times are people like you're whitewashed? What is that supposed to mean? You know, your ideology is showing, buddy. You might want to cover that up. What do you mean whitewashed? But see, that's the thing is like, maybe we got to talk about now, how do we combat that ideology? Like, there has to be a way, right? Like, ideology can't just simply exist there and just dictate your entire life. I I mean, it could. It really, realistically, it really, it really there are people who just go through what, from, the, that, from, uh, from the cradle to the grave with the same yeah. views. What's that St. Augustine quote? Uh, men like will go through their whole life without having one thought about themselves or something. Mm-hmm. People just never think about the conditions that affect their life. Exactly. You know, if you're rich, if you're rich, why would you ever question that? You just got it good. But yeah. Why do you, yeah. Why would you, you even know? question what it's like to be poor? Yeah. And then if anybody tells you, oh, you're rich by chance. No. My mommy and daddy worked harder. I worked hard. You know, it's Donald like, Trump. Yeah. No, he he wasn't hand he wasn't hand fed. You know, food. He just got a loan of a million dollars from yeah, his dad. A small loan. A small loan. Very you know, small. Everybody gets a small loan of a million. I don't think dollars. I'll ever. I don't even think I'll reach a million dollars in my life. I know some. You know, take that in. Some people don't even make one thousand dollars in their entire lifetime, and he wants to use the word small loan of a million dollars. Who has a million dollars to just give away? That ain't coming back with fifty percent compound interest, like. You know, it's, it's just crazy how people don't speak and they don't even know what mm-hmm. they're saying or why they say it or how they're saying it. You know, it's just that's, like, it, yeah, that's the biggest thing that bothers me lately. Like all these like conversations on Facebook and it's, it, it just yeah. sucks because I, f- I feel personally, this is a, a personal statement that 
as like a historian, right, as a scholar, someone who wants to educate people for a living, it is truly, like, we live in a time where you and me as, you know, so, uh, social science and um, humanitarian, like, professionals are needed. We need to break down the problems that people are facing, but people aren't listening. Yeah, if people don't trust scientists, you know, well, I don't want to say that data, we are facts. No, no, like... no. But hear, hear me out, though. Hear me out. Just, just try to consider this. If people don't trust science, you know, quantifiable facts, fact-driven, Neil, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson, it doesn't science doesn't care whether you believe in it or not, type of stuff. Why are they going to listen to social scientists, philosophers, historians, artists? Uh, you know, why would they listen to us when, you know, one thing I guess that should be more persuasive, you know, statistics, whatever, whatever, but even though, even those things are problematic, you know, what kind of methodologies are they employing and whatnot? Mm -hmm. You know, people aren't even persuaded by numbers unless honestly it's dollar signs. You that's know? very, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, sad, sad what is it going to take to persuade people? You know, what, what do we need to give people who, who, you know, refute the validity of BLM? Do we need, how many statistics do we need? You know, how many more George Floyds do we need? How many more? Uh, yeah, how many, how many lists of, of, of names of, of you know, you know like, unjustly killed black Americans? Do we have to list out in pictures on the internet for people to understand? Yeah, how many more memes? How many more videos? How many more Facebook shares? How many more likes? Yeah, how many hashtags? Just, how many more trending? You know, I'm it's, just tired. I'm tired of having to fight this constant battle and there are people who are way more intelligent and way more committed than me doing it and you know sometimes i feel bad and some days i'm just like this is too much mentally that i just i have to step back for my own sanity's sake yeah it, it is it, tough. Just, it just seems like an ideological war that i just don't see an end anytime soon because i it's, it's just tiresome to have to try to convince people that hey like, you know, stop killing my brothers and sisters and cousins and friends and coaches and sons and, you know, partners and all sorts of labels, you know, and it's just, it's not enough. And I'm just tired. Yeah. So the question is like, so like, what are ways that we can, like, what are ways that we can try to personally make a difference and combat this, you know, vicious cycle of ideology? Um, you know, personally for me, um, going going to grad school like be, like choosing to be a historian like i was in nursing school like i was gonna work in like the hard sciences right like medicine can't be disputed you know whatever and there was just something about history i'm like you know i have to go back to doing this this is truly what i want to do with my life and it's what i truly enjoy and i did struggle like people may think history is easy but really when you talk about the social sciences like even like when we talk about philosophy like sometimes you just scare me with how much you know and <laughs> or, or or how little i know or how little i know <laughs> but you know enter like really like i i think i was cha definitely challenged like in the field of social sciences taking um classes on introduction to philosophy or um sociology and history and talking about social issues and ideology and these complicated things because they're so fluid and they change and we right. can't keep track of them and their worldviews and people live by them and people start wars over them and people kill people over it and people marry people over it. And there's just so many, so much good and bad amongst the ideology. And yeah. I think it's like really the core of the one thing that got me into history. And I didn't really actually fully understand what ideology was 
until grad school when um, I had a professor, my first, um, he was the director of the program at the time and it was, his class always had a wait list. And I finally got in and he broke down ideology for me and I had like that aha moment. And from that yep. time on, like I was just set to go, but he basically explains ideologies to be tackled with in three different ways. These ways are how we can individually, societally combat ideology um, for ourselves and, you know, work it through with other people. Because it's, let's just face the fact, it's going to be hard to change someone's mind, especially when it's been decades of them believing the same thing. Yep. So, so the first thing, probably the most comp, like easiest one to think about is, you know, you just wait for the ide ideology to, you know, die out. So that would be, for example, we can just wait around a hundred years and hope that racism just dies. And eventually every year when people are born, you know, you know, every year people are learning new things and hopefully we're raising racially conscious people that are uh, able to actually contribute in a positive way as opposed to a racialized way and have this racist view of the world where, you know, other people are inferior to your select group of individuals. So you're hoping that with every year we educate more people to, you know, follow, you know, what we think is the better way to approach this situation. And then eventually those people that are just hard stuck are just going to eventually die off. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just sounds, let them run their, their lives are going to run their natural course. Pretty much. And you know, I don't, it, I don't agree with that though. It's morbid to say, but with basically it says with time, basically the argument for this is time. With time, so, eventually, man. well, think about this, like Rome eventually. People pass their right? ideas down to their children. Their children pick up on their, new, you know, parents' nuanced behavior, mm -hmm. you know, their prejudicial things, you know. It's, I don't think time, and you know, I feel like that's a privileged position to take too. Some of us don't have that time, Thomas. Some no, we don't. No, we don't. Some of us are going to the store and we might die because someone chose to call the police on us because they think our black body is suspicious. We yeah. don't have that kind of time, bro. Like, no, I, so and, we're literally on a ticking time, like, and this a time is, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying like this is a, in this specific mode. Like these are just the three ways that it's just possible. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just, ideology. you know, kind of like, you know, offering up a counterpoint. It's like, you're right though. We don't, we don't have time, time right? Like Some we don't have, like how many dying. more hundreds? Of, we, first of all, we had to wait 400 years to get, get rid of slavery. Yeah. It took 400 years to literally stop an overt systematic oppression of forced labor of black people in America. Yet, they are still being, there is still forced labor in prisons. There is, there is an absurd amount of imprisonment of black people in America who go to this system to work for no money. Yeah. Or cents, like literally like three cents an hour or three cents a day, right? Like this, there's still an effect of this that exists. So it's been, what, 400 years and it's still going? I'm reading here that hanging was legal in the U.S. until 1972. And then we can think historically, you know, I guess you could call it extrajudicial killing, but, mm -hmm. you know, lynching. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just feel emboldened by the law. You know, Do you know there's how many a law saying were... we can hang them. You know, yeah. let's, just, let's just, we can't wait for the police. You know, let's just do it ourselves. Yeah, we, no, we caught this guy. We caught this Till. guy being, you know, we caught this guy being black, so we hung him. It's yeah, like, what? Or we saw Emmett Till, and we thought, you know, he whistled at a white lady. Let's hang him. You know, 
So this whole t- idea of time, I, I don't, I'm not buying it. I, yeah, I get I, it on a conceptual level. Yeah. yeah, I get it on a conceptual level. I understand it. But in practice, I don't think that stands up to the weight. Yeah, it is by far the least likely to happen. Um, but the, the I think so. The next two we can kind of argue. I think they, they can be neck and neck with which is more likely to be the way that we can answer this question. But the second one is going to be to topple the existing ideology with a stronger one. So basically, like the bait and switch. So you know, let's say you know when you're at the eye doctor and they um they slide like is it slide a or slide b right right so basically let's say you're looking through slide a what we would do with this is we take out slide a and we slide in slide b and you're like ah this is much better so that's a little bit harder though because what happens it sounds easier in theory like oh wow you just show someone something better but it needs to be societally agreed upon like it needs to be typically something that is so overwhelmingly supported by a multitude of people that its replacement isn't without pushback. So the one example that my professor um, talked about was the stoplight example, where we come to understand that the color red represents stop, green represents go, and yellow represents slow down slash come to a stop. And he says, what if we took away the color red and put in the color blue. And people believed that. You know what? Blue is stop now. Wow. You know, it's, it seems hard to do. Like, at first, I would be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, there's no way. But if enough people are on board with this idea, you'll start to see that society will change its opinion. Like, you know what? I really missed having red, but I think blue, you know, blue is a good stop. Blue is good for stop, I think. And that would definitely cause, you know, massive amounts of cognitive dissonance. People are so used to the norm. Green, yellow, red. Mm-hmm. That to abruptly change that would be so catastrophic that I feel like it's better to just appeal to tradition and just keep it the way it is. Sort of like, you know, the classic, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, so, so then my question is, so with uh, American racism, so do we just, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? You know, there are do a lot we... of people who really think nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong happening in the country right now. Exactly, and that's the scary thing, right? Like, and, yeah, and, yeah. and we're witness, so we're actually witnessing this example right now with American ideology. We're witnessing people standing up, speaking, preaching, fighting for racial equality. And you typically, you know, I think, you know, I don't want to say normal because like what is normal, like normal to me would be that everyone deserves equal treatment. You know, no one should be discriminated for biological, physical characteristics or anything along those lines at all for anything. But there is a, not, I don't know if it's a majority, but there is a large amount of people in our current political structure who say otherwise. And right now we're seeing this ideological battle. Like, just imagine like the fi- like like a final scene in like Star Wars when you have like Darth Vader. I never actually watched Star Wars. Oh my god! Just imagine like oh, a lightsaber this... battle. You know what a lightsaber is? Of course, I know what a lightsaber is. So Tom, just imagine, ima- <laughs> just imagine having that lightsaber battle, right? Like constantly back and forth. Like one side is stronger than the other. One side gets an advantage over the other, pushing back at each other. And I yeah. feel like we're at this middle ground where like 
people are fighting so hard to keep the old ideology alive. This systematic racism, this, sub, this subvert racism that exists, this um, system of white privilege that goes unnoticed. And the biggest problem now is we are witnessing this firsthand today. And just as you said, like we are witnessing a huge pushback. People are challenging the stat- what they perceive to be the status quo, what they perceive to be normalized in their worldview, in their perspective. They don't want, they think that challenging the idea that black people deserve equal rights or police need to be defunded because of how unjust they treat specific people. That's a rational idea to some. And that scares me that people are so unwilling to see what is truly going on in this situation. It's, it's, really, it's really tough. It, it's, it's just really, it's really tough seeing that we have this middle ground and people are truly fighting back and forth. And it's just this battle that go back and forth, back and forth, and this constant pressure is being applied. And you know, no side is budging, right? People are fighting for what they believe in, but what really is right in this case, like like equality for everyone or just keeping things the same because people just, they think everything's fine. You know, mm-hmm. how, do, how do we reach them? How do we, how do we push this, this new ideology over the edge to dominate over the old one and, and, and change how we perceive things, change our understanding? I'm not, sh- I, uh, that's a good question and I don't have an answer, but I think... Something that comes in my mind is like, like you said, keeping things the same. I feel like the idea of sameness entails a certain, depending on where you are, ignorance, but also the opposite of ignorance. People need it to be the same because they main, they possess or hold, you know, powerful positions in society. They own private property. They own. And that would be a conscious, that would be more of a conscious level of like, I am aware Oh, that's my, what I'm saying. I'm it's, the opposite of, it's the opposite of ignorance in a sense. They need it to be the same. They need to maintain the status quo. so that Because they want to maintain their power position. Exactly. That's true too. So, you know, so a lot of these people could be just very knowing that like, yeah. I like where I am. I don't they, want it to they change. They want black lives to not matter. They exactly. want us to, they want to increase the reach of the police state. They want to, you know. Because they feel, no, they, feel saying, safer. they feel safer having the police because the police are brutally killing black people. Yeah. So the they're doing they're doing the them. job for them. Exactly. They they want, you know. Yeah. They're they're literally doing like you said the job for them. You know. It's they have like the institutional so go ahead. Yeah. It, it it's it is shitty to say, but it's a reality. Like you just can't hide from. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm sure there are white people out there who literally want us dead. And then they see a new George Floyd thing and they're like, good, he deserved it, you know? It's the same people who, you know, when... Um, no one deserves... When Trayvon... When Tra- no, no, when Trayvon Martin died, you know, it's sort of like victim blame. Like when a, a woman gets raped or a man gets raped and, oh, what were they wearing? And where were they? Or what time of day was it? None of those things matter. It happened. It happened and you need to condemn the fact that it happened and you need to either say, you know what? I want to be part of the, the solution and move forward to create a safer, more just world. You know, like when, when Trayvon Martin died, people were like, oh, why did he have his hood on? Why does that matter? Trying to undermine the fact that, it ha- you know, it's like you think you're doing some sort of investigative work, but like you're really just being inflammatory. You know what I mean? 
but I'm telling you right now, ready? Take take one of these like Trumpers and like have like one of their their family members or a close friend walking down the street and get and get shot for no reason. Watch how right. fast they light up. Right. You know, like people don't realize, and then and then watch that happen like a week later to someone else that they know, and then a week later, and then a day later. But that's all right? it is. It's it's like, you know, COVID isn't real until it happens to your grandma. It's like, I don't think this is real until it happens to someone close to me and I'm emotionally affected. People are just so quick to distance themselves and detach themselves and just not even relinquish a little bit of, you know, you know, I don't I, even know what to call it. You know it. what like, it is? It's, it's ignorance is bliss. Like, right? Yeah. Like, by choosing to be ignorant, by choosing to not change or challenge your worldview, you are you stay happy and safe in your mind. You know that, you know, uh, from SpongeBob, uh, one of the episodes, it's like, I'm safe here in my mind. <laughs> right? In, in like, like a bubble. We all want to live in a bubble. Yeah. But sooner or later, at least, you know, real life isn't like Twitter. You can't mute people or block them in real life. You're least, going to get your bubble bursted. <laughs> at least I'm safe here in my mind. <laughs> you know, like this whole idea of this whole idea of safe space undermines the very idea of open and honest communication. But, and that to, is such an integral part to in, in affecting change. But the challenge that, right? Like people on the Trump side, people on that, that, that side of ignorance and what they're doing is they're actually saying that like, you know, people who are LGBTQ, they're looking for a safe, oh, you, you snowflakes want your safe space. Is that, do they want a safe space or do they want an equal space? Right. Right. Like, that, like to... that's the problem. They, they, they diminish the problem of everything. Like, like we don't someone, want a safe space. We want to be able to legally marry our partners. I just want to you know, walk we, on we the want street without being from the law. You know, yeah, you like, know, we want basic human rights. And these know, are the I, ideological challenges that are being yeah. confronted right now. And this is the second example, right? So we're seeing them fight neck and neck right now, and it can go either way. It can truly go either way. And right now, I don't want to say the Trump side, but you know, the side that Trump is enforcing and supporting is right now i'd say winning just for the, the mere fact that he has a political party in power right now right if no, that's why and that's how politics play into ideology as well they get to support they get to choose what they, i mean just look at like uh you know nazi germany right like not all germans not actually you know the evidence actually suggests a majority of germans did not agree with what hitler revealed to be the nazi party agenda but the, the state was so overwhelmingly overt about their political ideology, their, their racial ideology, that if you spoke against it, you were, you were dead. You were in trouble for it, right? So it's almost like that mob mentality where like people around you are like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know uh, yeah, we got to support Trump. You know, he wants to drain the swamp, get Mexicans out of here, you know, get Muslims out of here. And if you're in an environment where people support that and you don't support that, you you can be in danger, you know. So of some course. people are some people are pressured into saying these things, and it, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, it's not a good so place to be. Variables, though. There is, when, and that's when, why when it ideology, comes to ideology is, scary. is like people can people do things and they don't even know why they do it. So yes, we're you mm -hmm. know we're talking about you know rational free will, autonomous individuals in this podcast. A lot of people are doing things. I'm going to vote for so and so because my parents voted for so and so. Yeah. You know, they don't have rational reasons for doing things. It's like, what do we really expect? These people will just, oh, fuck, there's a famous story um, by Lucian, a cynic philosopher. He said, mm -hmm. most people are just on a horse 
you know, and that horse could be food. It could be sex. It could be drugs. It could be fame. It could be, and wherever the horse goes, they don't have a say in it. They just go wherever the horse goes. Today, the horse is going south. You're going south. Tomorrow, it's going north. You're going north. You know, people have no moral or rational compass. They just, like I said, do what their parents tell them to do, or they just copy their parents. You know, my dad was Republican. Fuck it. Guess I'm going to be in a Republican, you know? They just never have that reflexive urge to reflect to on challenge their life. or yeah, they don't want to they don't you want know? to challenge not even not even around. challenge. Just even think about question, your own question, life. Question. Yeah, even. yeah. You so know? challenging comes later in the in the process, but first you just have to question yourself and be like, is this true? Is this I something think, that I want to believe? Yeah, you know, like I hear nice stories of like, you know, alt-right white terrorists who end up falling in love with a black partner you know or mm-hmm. like because they decided you know what maybe maybe black people aren't that bad and they open up their heart to the possibility that they can actually love the thing they were programmed to hate and then lo and behold look you know it ended up being a budding blossoming relationship yeah but that wouldn't have happened without at least the first you know desire i guess to question it you know why do i hate why do we hate these people why am i told to hate these people so it reminds me, have you heard of Daryl Davis? Sounds familiar. So but... he's, he's he, basically he's a blues musician. And what he did was he converted 200 Ku Klux Klan members to quit. And How did what he, he do that? By, um, by pretty much meeting with them and, and speaking to them and say, hey, listen, I don't hate you for hating me. And he would make friends with them and he would go visit them and he would, you know, he would try it and just, just, be himself and just say, listen, I want to be your friend by, by performing music, showing him, like showing them their, his interest that he plays yeah. music and by connecting with him on a, like on just this human level that people tend to overlook within each other. Exactly. And I think they just see this idea of blackness and how you you should just hate it. But instead mm-hmm. of seeing the fact that it's a person. So yeah. he overcame this ideology. He was able to take the glasses off right from these people's faces. And I, I value that so much because that's what I want to do as an educator. I want to be able to have people, li- I don't want to li- move the glasses for them. I just want them to, I want them to actually like lift them up slightly to see things for a different, um, a different way that they may appear. And that leads us to the third and the last um, way to combat ideology. And it's simply through education. But I would probably argue this might be one, this is either a hit or miss method. And yeah. I'm a result of this method. Like I learned an exponential amount of information. I've become more open-minded myself just by being like following the path of becoming a historian and studying grad school and all of these things, because I had different views than I have now. And, you know, I remember, for example, when you were talking about like, oh, I'll vote for this person because my family did. I remember like when Obama ran for the first time and um, I was like, oh yeah, Mitt Romney. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't even remember why I wanted Mitt Romney. Like I wasn't even old enough to vote. Like, it's so funny to me that, you know, that's, that's who I was, right? Like I was subject to this. I never questioned things and I never reflected on, but you know, sure enough, my first, um, was I old enough to vote for Obama? That was 2000 and, 16. I don't even remember how old I was. You no, know, but I think to counter, kind of counteract my own point, mm-hmm. you shouldn't. People can do things. Uh, I don't want to contradict myself, but I feel like I have already. I think it's okay. We're learning here. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I know I said people do things without rational reasons, mm-hmm. which is fine. Because I know a, a lot of people voted for Obama because he's black. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know if that's rational or irrational. Like, I think it's rational in the sense of, like, look at, you know, your country's history. You've never had a black president. So I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty powerful reason to vote for them, but I still do think we should vote for, you know, I guess. Well, I voted for, I, I can't remember how he voted, but I'm sure that I supported him due to his, like his, for his ideals, right? Like, yeah, but it's, he, but you can't ignore the fact that he platform. is the first black president. Yeah, no, he is for he, sure 100% you know? confirmed. He is an American citizen. Yes. Me, he was that was, up, that was up for debate. And by who? Guess who led that charge? Jake, take a fucking <laughs> wild guess. Take a guess. Do you know? No, Donald Trump, no? Donald Trump, yeah. yeah he literally the drove. Birth certificate thing? Yes. Yeah. He, the, birther, yeah. the birther situation. Yeah. That was Donald fucking Trump, guys. Like, wake up. I'm like, telling you, you can be the president, but you just cannot escape the facticity that you are black. Yeah, you can be the leader of the free world, yet you are still diminished because you're black. Yep, like that's exactly. that's the it's, ideology it's always, that people follow. But yeah. that's what education seeks to do. Education, what it does is it offers it basically offers you like you've have you have you played a Pokemon game? Of course, Pokemon Crystal. Okay, Game Boy, right, Game Boy so, Advance SP. Shut up. All right, so remember, yo, so ready? You're playing Crystal. You walk up and you want to pick your first Pokemon. You're gonna either pick Totodile, you're gonna pick Cyndaquil, or you're gonna pick Chikorita. And that's what a professor, Professor Oak, literally, he's a professor. He lays out three options <laughs> for you, right? And you can, and you can, like, you, and you can go, you know, you can go be like, I'm gonna go catch my own Pokemon, or like, you know what? Actually, let yeah. me assess these three options and see which one I like, which one fits me. I chose, you know, I chose Totodile. Totodile's badass. I always pick water Pokemon, right? That's the way weak, I went. Sick. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I, I hope that's a good example for some people. But yeah. that's what, like, I think that's what education does, right? It offers you an alternative view and an alternative option to what you already prescribed yourself to, willingly or unwillingly. And it allows for you to make that leap and make that change. But Yeah, no, I agree. I think what you use the perfect word. We need leap, leap of faith, not like faith with any religious connotations, but just a leap into the unknown, into the possibility that your world might be a little bit or a lot more different than you think it is. But a lot of people don't take that leap. And a lot of people don't go through, you know, the traditional avenues of education. They don't, you know. And some people don't even have access to this education. Yeah, you know. Right? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues. issues. Yeah, education could be the savior, and you know a lot of a lot of weight is placed on education. But like, you, there's so many things gatekeeping it. Yeah, the quality of it, where to get it, who who gives it. You know, it's like, yeah, is an education from Harvard better than an education from a community college? Is it different? Is you know, is education about learning itself or is it preparation for a job? You know, it's like. There's just yeah. so many things. There's so many facets that go into ideology, right? Like, I'm, I'm yeah. sure that we, we spent all this time talking about it, and I'm sure that we just barely scratched the surface. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like, but really, like, if, if anyone can pull anything from this episode, I really want people to just keep an open mind. You don't need to necessarily drastically change your worldview, right? But just be open to the fact that people see things differently, and there are other ways of understanding the same exact thing. Right. But right? you have to also be careful with that sentiment, though. You do have to, yes. But so that's why, that's why you have to do be, that's, you do have to be critical. 
you know, yeah, you still have to be critical. Like, be rational. Do have different beliefs, but you run into a little bit of a problem when someone's belief says, "You know what? You don't deserve to live, or you don't deserve to." Exactly. Live. Yeah. Don't don't just be like, "Well, right? I, well, I that's, that's great. I respect that." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like sometimes, being sometimes, tolerant is good, but at what point do we draw the line and say, "You know what? I'm tolerant, but this is just unacceptable." Exactly. So you just have to, you just have to know there's nuance you know, in beliefs and in the actualization of those beliefs. And you just have to be critical and aware, you know? We're not asking you to put aside your values, but we're just asking you to question your values. Yeah. You know, just, what, what do you think is right? What do you think is virtuous, you know? Yeah, don't, and don't be, and you know, personally, you know, don't be afraid of the, the fear that comes along with um, struggling to find an answer for yourself. Right. I think... I think that's what stops a lot of people from changing their, their views and trying to understand the whole situation that we're facing specifically here in America right now. Like people are just very scared to face the fact that, holy shit, I might've been racist. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can, if, if, if you want me to sit here and tell you I've never said anything racist in my life, that would be a lie. You'd be lying. And I, I would be, you know, amiss if I said the same thing too. Like I said earlier, me using the word retard or, you know, though that's so gay, you know, it's like you you just some things I did, you know, because everyone else did it. I thought it was okay. And then I looked within myself and I had other people tell me, yo, that's fucked up. Stop. Oh yeah, of course. Like, or, or like, but you know, I started having gay friends. That's see, that's the problem is like people feel very con like they feel confronted and no one wants to feel like, Whoa, why are you but coming it's necessary, at me like that? Though. It's necessary. How many gay friends did I have that I didn't know were gay? Because they weren't comfortable. Let's let's imagine you're gay, mm -hmm. and you're already like scared to come out to your friends. And your friends say, "Oh, you're a fag. Oh, you're gay." Yeah. You know, it's gonna make you even more scared to come out. You know, yeah, and, and just, it's just not creating people... the conditions where people can express themselves freely. Yeah, that, that's why a lot of people are like exploring their sexuality and gender identities on the internet because there's no one there. There's more people there that will accept you, and there's communities exactly. that are willing to that that actually understand where you're coming from as well, yeah. so you can open up safely. And it's just sad that we have to seek an online platform to have our ideas met with common views, as right. opposed to the real world where this should be put into practice. And we should be wow. openly accepting. Like, you know, I remember, I don't know, was it under the Obama administration when, oh no, or was it the Trump thing where like a gay couple was denied um, service at a bakery? Yeah. Because they were gay and they're like, oh, my religion says I can't serve you because you're gay. Yes. And it's just like the fact that that's allowed, like, holy shit. It's just a hierarchy of beliefs. Yep. I think one, you know, literally trumps the other. <laughs> Trump. That's, that's problematic in itself, you know? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's problematic, but, you know. The first step, guys, is realizing it, right? Like, let's take a let's let's learn to take a step back, take ourselves out of these situations, and analyze, like, okay, like, how am I approaching this situation? How do I feel about it? How do I think about it? And is there room for growth? Is there room for appropriate change? Is there something that I'm overlooking, or is there something I'm not listening to? Is there something I'm not getting that maybe? I'm just ignoring or I'm not paying attention to and we need to grow. We need to just all grow and it's okay to, it's okay to grow. Like it's, it's okay. okay to be wrong. too. It's okay to be wrong. That's how you learn. There were so many things that I was so damn sure of and somebody came along who was much smarter than me, more mm -hmm. experienced than me and said, Leighton, that's not the way. 
I used and to be I very really tried stubborn to as incorporate, well. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's but, just a lifelong commitment to learning. You know, you can't just be a student in school. You got to mm-hmm. be a student of life. I know that sounds like some Tumblr cringy shit. No, no. It's, that's, but like you have to commit students. yourself to learning. It's so easy to be dumb in today's society. You know, pop on a couple tip, TikToks and you're good for the day. And, you know, have some drinks at night and party all night. And, you know, and your brain just turns to mush. You know, so you just have to really commit yourself to being critical and neutral. Especially in like times where it, things seem to be very, very heated. That neutrality will go a long way. You know, but I'm not saying stay neutral forever. Like, oh, I don't want to comment on black issues. It's not my place. You know, sometimes you really do have to go ahead first. Like, I was, like I was, remember, I was, a t- I was, a t- like, black, yeah, black, yeah. On black know? issues, it's not your problem. Yeah. You're, you're white. It doesn't, you know, you shouldn't have a say. Yeah. But, you know, there, there, but again, that's back to being critical. You have to know which battles to, to fight, pick and choose your battles. You know, I think that's something I, I'm still learning and I've tried to incorporate into my life. It's like, I can't fight everybody and I don't have the energy or sanity to do that. Yeah, and I, I could literally spend all day arguing with people on Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook, no one, Twitter, and no one will you know? ever learn a thing. And, and yes. I basically just wasted all my time. Yeah, so Some, you know, you can't teach a, an old dog new tricks. Yeah, you Sometimes can lead a horse to wasteful. water. Yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Seriously, you know? So some people, I just say, you know what? I give up on you. Just but for the sake of my own, though, you know, as a, as a professional educator, it upsets me that I'm not able, that I have to feel like I'm abandoning people, but yeah. it's, but it's really up. Like, like we were talking about, it's the professor Oak dilemma. You are offered three, you are offered options. You know, they're laying out the information for you. All you have to do is inquire about it. That's it. But if people don't even want to do the bare minimum to grow and expand what they seem to understand, then that is solely on them it is not on you so you know just be be that person take a step be a step above the rest and say you know at least try put yeah. in an effort to understand what's just going try. on yeah yeah seriously if you try you already did much more than a majority of people exactly it's just and, the trying yeah but uh you know i you know we definitely would love to hear what a lot of you guys think as well about you know how do, how do we how do we combat ideology how do we how do we better ourselves and how do we seek better open mindedness within ourselves and how do we influence others to you know see things differently in a positive way i mean if you guys want to leave some of these answers you know you can leave it on anchor uh, with a voice message or if you want to reach us on social media please feel free to do so but we're you know me and Layton here are probably hoping that you guys enjoyed the yes. episode we want to interact with you. Leave some questions, comments, something you didn't like, something you liked, anything and everything is welcomed. If you Absolutely. thought it was shit, Absolutely. let us know. You know? I mean, how else are we going to grow, right? Yeah. Any, any and all feedback is welcome, please. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Layton, thank you for this conversation. It was absolutely phenomenal. You thank are, you for having me. Uh, we will be back with another episode soon, but you know, feel free to follow us on our socials. They'll be linked and leave some questions, comments, Whatever you have, you know, challenge us. We want to have a conversation, open it up, and just, you know, stay open-minded, stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone.